Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, I'm going to begin a brand new series called Undefeated, and uh, this is, is going to run for a few weeks here. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to really open your hearts and minds because I'm going to speak some truth straight out of God's Word today, and I want you to receive it. I want everyone in this room to receive it um, because there are some things that God has been speaking to me, and I believe that if we can back it up with Scripture, then it needs to be taught. So today, I'm going to be doing that. Um, maybe you've heard the story of, of the little boy that was in his backyard, and, and he, uh, he, he was pitching the ball to himself. You know how you throw the ball up and then you take a swing at it? And, and he, he stood there before he started and he said, I'm the greatest hitter of all time. And so he threw the ball up and swung and missed. Strike one. I'm still the greatest hitter of all time. And he, he threw the ball up again and swung and missed. Strike two. A little, little discouraged, he stepped back for a moment and he's playing out the whole game-winning home run scenario in his mind. He's like, you know, there's two strikes against me. I'm still, I'm still the greatest hitter of all time. And so the little boy picks up the ball again and he throws it up in the air and he swings and he misses a third time. Strike three, he's out. And that's when he lifts his hands up into the air and he says, I'm the greatest pitcher of all time. <laughs> Some people refuse to be defeated. You know some of these people. They're in your life. It may not be you, but there are some people that just absolutely refuse to be defeated. They will go down swinging because defeat is not in their vocabulary. Going undefeated is not easy. There's only seven NCAA basketball teams that, are, that have survived the season undefeated. Their stories include some of the, the greatest names in basketball history. Bill Russell, Frank McGuire, Lou Alcindor. We know the great John Wooden and Bob Knight. There's only been one NFL team that has ever been undefeated all the way through the Super Bowl, and that's the 1972 Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Last season... Last season, we watched the Golden State Warriors become the closest to being undefeated for an NBA team as they went 73-9. and nine. And like the NBA, in the history of Major League Baseball, there has never been a team to go undefeated. It doesn't matter if the team is rec league, high school, professional. Going undefeated is a very difficult task. It is such a rare experience that it nearly seems impossible. I mean, after all, we are human and humans are imperfect. We make mistakes and so we win some and we lose some. And it's just kind of, of, of what we have become allowed to become the norm. Is that in life, you're going to be defeated. But the sad reality is that we often assign our attributes to God. Often we put our human attributes on God. We, we are perfectly capable of losing. But what we fail to realize is that God is not. God is not capable of losing. 
God cannot and God will not lose. Genesis 18 and 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Job 42 and 2, Job said, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Isaiah 14 and 27 says, the Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans when his hand is raised? Who can stop him? And Matthew 19 and 26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. History proves that God always wins. I want you to say those three words with me. Say, God always wins. Say it again. God always wins. Say it again. God always wins. Somebody here today, you need to be reassured of that. You need to get that through your thick skull. Because God always wins. He has never lost. Never. Standing at the Red Sea, God did not lose. At the walls of Jericho, God did not lose. When the prophet Ezekiel was standing over a valley of dry bones, God did not lose. When Lazarus was dead and in the tomb, God did not lose. And when Jesus was in the tomb, God's son did not lose. And I can promise you this, if you go to the back of the book, spoiler alert right here, you ready? We don't lose. We don't lose. Why? Because God doesn't lose. God cannot lose, will not lose. And so instead of assigning our attributes to God, his word invites us to assign his attributes to us. Listen to Philippians 4 and 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, there's nothing that's impossible. I will not lose because through him, I'm a conqueror. Through him, I have victory. We are invited to share in his victories, to stand on his success, and to rest in his assurance. Why? Because God doesn't lose. But yet for some reason, and, and here's my frustration today. So I, I am telling you, I'm coming to you right now frustrated. So buckle up. You know what happens when Pastor Rocky takes the pulpit frustrated, right? Just get ready. For some reason, if the wind blows just the wrong way, we lose sight of his undefeated record. And we will collapse in defeat. If the wrong words are said, if the wrong circumstance presents itself, if the enemy shows up just at the right moment, we suddenly put all of our human attributes on God instead of taking on his attributes on us. And some of us, we are so frail mentally. We're living in a constant state of defeat. Always the victim. Always worrying. Always fearful. 
And let me tell you what's happening. We're raising up a generation behind us that they're always the victim. They're always worrying. They're always defeated, fearful. God has called us to live our lives in a way that displays faith that he holds our world in his hands and we know that. Sure, life gets rough. Your marriage isn't what it used to be. Yet there may be no future in that dead-end job or you are financially buried right now or simply that we just live in an evil world. And it seems hopeless at times. But Romans 8 and 37 tells us, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It's ours. It belongs to us if we can keep the focus, if we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not our circumstances, life has the ability to change and we have the ability to be victorious. Now, I've said it throughout this year that I was not going to preach a political series this year. I've done it in years past. Mentally, I know where I'm at, I know where I stand. And I've made that declaration, I'm not preaching a political series this year. However, a good shepherd will lead the sheep to green pastures. And so I'm feeling a huge responsibility because here's what I'm noticing, church, with Christians, and not, not just within our church, I'm talking about Christianity around this country. I'm noticing that, that some of our sheep are eating weeds and briars. And in this election year, they're acting more like goats than they are sheep. Oh, you're quiet. So as your shepherd, now it's my job to get you back in the right pasture, back in the right frame of mind. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure that I can take three more weeks of faithless Christianity on my newsfeed. Because I'm about ready to block some of you. Amen, preacher. So indulge me for a few moments. You don't have to come back next week. I will miss you. But I've got to say what God's leading me to say. Because we are living life defeated. This is not a political series. Every week of this series is not going to deal with politics. It's not a political series. Honestly, today is not a political sermon. It's not even about politics. Today is about a lack of trust that has infiltrated the church. And I know I am more confused about this election than ever before. And, and personally, if you want to know my, my personal stance, I don't see a candidate that lines up with my belief system on either side. And, and every year, every election, I see, it I, I see it coming more and more that direction. And now I'm there and I see it and I'm like, God, I don't see a candidate that lines up with your word and my belief system. And, and, and trust me, it's easy to get caught up in the smear campaigns and in the social media rants. It, it, it becomes personal, especially here. I'm going to speak to somebody right now. It becomes personal, especially when you believe that your rights and your morals are at stake. The church was birthed at a time when their rights and their morals were at stake. 
Christianity exploded during a time when their rights and their morals were at stake. But in the middle of all this political chaos, we are called to live life in a way that trusts God even when our circumstances seem desperate. Second Corinthians 5 and 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. And so we rant, we rave, and we entertain political hot buttons, and we lose sight that regardless of who the president will be, Jesus will still be king. Oh, we'll see if you're still clapping in a minute. You can't worship the Prince of Peace Church and constantly live at war with your neighbor. You can't claim that he is the author and the finisher of your faith and allow an election to rewrite your destiny. You can't sing that Jesus is the victor and live life defeated because it goes against everything that Christianity stands for. I, I like the way that Andy Stanley said it to his church when he was talking about this. He, he said, stop, you're scaring the children. Stop. You are scaring the children when you need to be teaching your children that we live by faith and not by sight. That no matter what the circumstances are around us, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. But we are living life so defeated because of our surroundings and our circumstances. And we're teaching our children that depending on the outcome of an election, doom and gloom may be near. No, I don't buy that. So I sought God for an answer last week, and I said, God, you've got to give me something. Where, where, where are you in the middle of all of this? And I'll tell you what he gave me, and I shared this with our administrative council this past week. He led me to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Don't turn there because it's not even my text. I'm not even going to give you my text until we get to the end of this thing in just a minute. This is such a backward sermon, but we're living in a backwards world, right? Isaiah 9 and 6, it's a Christmas verse. We share this verse at Christmas, but it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. The government is, is on his shoulders. It's his weight to bear. It's his responsibility. It's not mine. And here's the best news, and, and you're not going to like it. Some of you are absolutely not going to like it, but here it is. God has never lost an election. God has never lost an election. I don't care if you like who was elected or not. God, according to scripture, God has never lost an election. Romans 13 and 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Colossians 1 and 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God has never lost an election. And God will never lose an election. I, I've said it before, church, and I will continue to say that, but God will put a leader in place for one of two reasons. That leader will either lead that nation to repentance that he will realize that we have gone astray and, and God will use him or her to lead that nation to repentance or through that leader's actions, it will drive that nation to repentance. And looking at the two candidates, I'll let you figure out what God's about to do with this nation. 
it might not be a bad thing for us to be driven to our knees. We are walking around faithless, without trust that God is still sovereign and in control. If I truly believe God's word and I truly believe that God is omniscient, then I must believe that this election, no matter the outcome, will not catch him off guard. As a matter of fact, the election will go just how God wants it to go. And so I hear some of you right now, and and the question comes to your mind, why even vote? If God has a plan, does our vote even count? And the answer is yes, and I can tell you why. It's because I don't vote because it's my right. See, there's part of your problem right there. Some of you think you have some God-given rights because you live in a free nation. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. because there's Christians all over this world Christians that love Jesus some of them love Jesus more than we do because they're willing to give up a whole lot more to worship him but they don't have the same God-given rights that we do and so yeah it's my right to vote But I don't vote because it's my right. I vote because it's my responsibility. And when I stand before God, I'm not going to be judged by who has been elected. I will stand there and be judged for what I stood for. Did I stand for his people? Did I stand for Israel? Did I stand for innocent life? Did I stand for the principles in his word? That's what I'll be judged for when I stand before God. And if your candidate of choice does not win the election, relax. Look at somebody next to you and just say, relax. If you know them and they are a political hothead, look at them again and say, relax. (laughs) Let me blow your mind again. Are you ready for this? God has never given the, the final responsibility for advancing the gospel to any nation. Never. He's never laid that upon a nation. We act like Christianity will fall if America, uh, uh, if America falls. Newsflash, Christianity was alive and well long before America was on the map. The rise and fall of America has nothing to do with whether or not Christianity will survive. America is not the answer for this fallen world. Jesus is. And how are they ever going to believe in our faith if we don't have faith in a God that can see us through circumstances that may be beyond our control? It's time that maybe some of us learn to live by faith. He never placed the advancement of the gospel in a particular country or government, but he did commission a kingdom to live by faith and not by sight. And it's time that we start acting like we are members of that kingdom, that we are residents of that kingdom, that we are not of this world. Our call and purpose is not altered by whoever lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I can promise you the way I live my life is not going to change by whoever the president is. Again, this isn't about politics. It's about faith. And I want to show you how this played out in the lives of some young men. So if you will, turn with me really quick. And I'm almost done, man. I'm, I'm, I'm told you my text is at the end of this thing. So we're, we're almost done with this. But uh, turn with me to the third chapter of Daniel. The third chapter of the book of Daniel. In the Old Testament, after the time of David and Solomon, 
the nation of Israel fell into a decline and they, they turned away from God. Sounds familiar, right? A nation was in decline and they turned away from God. And God began to send various prophets to warn them. He sent Jeremiah, Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. He sent these prophets to warn the people of Israel of the consequence of their sin and to pronounce his judgment upon them. That if they didn't turn from their wicked ways, God was going to judge them. And the judgment was, was of certain destruction of the nation by the hands of foreign invaders if Israel did not turn from its wicked ways and the people of Israel did not listen to the prophets and continue to disobey. So God did send Babylon to invade and destroy their way of life. But in this process, the Babylonians decided they were going to take some of the youngest, brightest talent. Some of the youngest the most handsome students that, that, that Israel had to offer, and they were going to take them back uh, into exile to reprogram their mentality, and, and they were going to make them more like Babylon, raise them up in, in those ways and teach them the way of the Chaldeans so that, that, that they could brainwash them and they could use them because they were smart. They were smart. Bring, King Nebuchadnezzar said, bring us back the best of the best. Bring them back. And among those young men that were taken into exile were four particularly, and one of them is the name of, he goes by the name Daniel, and he's the one that's writing these accounts that we're reading of today. And the others, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, you, you, you talk about a rough life. That wasn't even their birth names. That was the names the Babylonian Empire gave them. They were named after false gods. You read about it in the first chapter of the book of Daniel. We talk about such great faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's not even their name. You're talking about persecution. We're not even going to call you by your Jewish names anymore from now on. You're going to be named after this God of the sun and this God of the moon. And you are going to adapt to our lifestyle. And after a number of years of living in Babylon, some scholars believe it was 15 to 20 years later, in between chapters 2 and 3, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered his designers and his masons to build this huge gold statue of himself. The Bible tells us that it was 60 cubits high. That's 90 feet tall. Can you, can you wrap your mind around this? 90 feet tall, a golden statue of him. It was the perfect example of an egotistical maniac. He didn't have a God complex. He thought he was God. And he wanted to unite them because if any nation can unite a group of people under a religion, they become more powerful with that. And so their religion was going to be worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he sets up this 90-foot tall image of himself. And through some uh, political persuasion, the king set forth a decree that when the music started playing, everyone would bow down and worship this gold idol, this gold 90-foot statue of himself. Everybody would bow down. And when the band struck the first chord, it's estimated that 3,000 people hit their knees to worship him. Everyone in attendance bowed down in that desert to worship a golden image of a man. 
except for three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? In their culture, in their Jewish culture, they had been taught the law. At a young age, let me tell you something, parents. This is why it's so important to get your kids in church and keep them in church. Because what they learn at a young age, it will last for them for a lifetime. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. And these three young men had been taught the law. They knew the Ten Commandments. And the first two commandments was all that they needed to know I'm not bowing down to that gold image of that man. Because the first commandment said, you shall have no other gods before me, and this man's trying to start a new world religion. The second commandment said, the second commandment said you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God told these young men through his word, don't worship a false idol. He spelled it out knowing that this day was coming for them. In church, in the middle of a political wicked atmosphere, they didn't rave, they didn't rant about a corrupt king, they didn't start a coup to overthrow the government, they just simply stood for their beliefs and did not do what others were doing. I'll get to that in just a second. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music. Well, that must have been, that's such a ragamuffin band, isn't it? That had to be awful music. He said, when you hear this music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love these three words right here, because this is where we're weak. But if not, some of us need some but if not faith right now. But if not be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheating, overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three, bound, uh, three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. He looks into a fiery furnace and he sees something that some of us have a hard time seeing today. And he sees it before the birth of Christ. He sees it before the death of Christ. He sees it before the resurrection of Christ. In the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into a fiery furnace and realizes that the Son of God is in there with those three boys walking around and they're all unharmed and, and, and the ropes have been burnt off and they are not even singed. And if you know this story, they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. We need that kind of faith because the only way that we're going to get past this, the only way the church is going to move beyond what's going on in our society right now is if we have the kind of faith that says, I know God can, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow. I know God can, but even if he doesn't, I know that my life is going to be okay because I don't put it in my hands. I don't put it in the hands of you, King. I don't put it in the hands of the government. I put my life in the hands of the one that created me. He knows me inside and out, and that's where I put my faith. That's where I put my trust. Church, we are so frightened by adversity. That if they believe different than we do, then the world is crashing. And I've said all of that to lead you to this point right here. Are you ready? That we can get ready to play, man. We're going to get out of here. Could it be that the real problem is not in an ego-driven Babylonian empire, but could it be that we don't have enough faith to survive that empire? That's the problem with the church in America. Is that we don't believe strong enough that if the election doesn't go our way, that we'll be okay. Stop. You're scaring the children. We will be fine. If they kill us tomorrow, when I open my eyes, I'm standing on a celestial shore. If they deny us of every right, they cannot stop me from loving and believing in my Jesus. freedom of speech and thank God for those of you that that serve to give me this right so don't take this in a disrespectful way but our freedom of speech is probably one of the worst things that's happened to the church because we don't know when to shut up and God forbid they take that freedom of speech from us what about first century Christians 
that they had to have a, a secret greeting for each other. That they couldn't even pronounce their Christianity, Christianity publicly. But in passing on a street, they had to have a secret greeting just to say, I'm a Christian like you, you're a Christian like me. We don't know what that's like. God forbid they take our guns away. Oh, I know I just messed somebody up right there. God forbid they don't let us pray in schools. You're not even wanting your kids to be in public school anyway. We're taking our kids out of, out of the, the public setting and we're wondering, we're wondering what, what's happening to our school system. Oh God, I'm all over toes right now. Y'all be careful. Let's learn to live and be a light in darkness because we have completely, completely put all of our trust in the wrong places. What if, what if it doesn't go your way? Three weeks from now, what if you get the worst news of your life? Let me tell you, if that's the worst news of your life, you're in pretty good shape. Because the worst news of my life was when they looked at me and said, your wife has cancer. You take your election and you can, never mind. When they look at you and they say, you're losing one of your babies. The pregnancy is failing. One of them is not going to live. That's the worst day of your life. The worst day of your life is when you have to bury your husband unexpectedly or your wife unexpectedly. It's not an election, church. There's been plenty of evil kings that have been on this planet before, but they will always fail in comparison to the one who is undefeated, Jesus Christ. That's why they call him the King of Kings. So everybody take a deep breath. Relax. Relax. He's still God. He's still in control. Do what you think you have to do. Vote your conscience. It's your responsibility. You need to do that. You'll have to stand before God one day with how you vote. Trust me. But then leave it up to Him to work out all the details. It's going to be fine. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.